Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. You can turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'll pull out a few other scriptures as well, but if you at least want to get there while you're turning, I just want you to listen to just a brief testimony. Five years ago, uh, Joan O'Hare, Pastor Don's wife, she befriended an elderly lady uh, who lives in the Cannon House Senior Rise Apartments uh, in Cannonsburg. Many of you might know where that's at. The woman told Joan that Sunday was the worst day of the week in the building because they rarely received any visitors. They were just long, lonely days, especially in the afternoons. So around that time, the prime timers, our senior adults ministry, decided to start having a luncheon for their residents there once every three months. Uh, when they go, they usually have about 30 to 40 individuals uh, that come there that really don't, they don't get out. They don't leave you know, these, these houses and they don't receive guests. Uh, three years ago, they added the Cannon Apartments as well. So they go to the Cannon House, Senior High Rise, and also the Cannon Apartments to have lunch there. Uh, this past year, they served over 200 meals to these guests, uh, these, these uh, house residents, and they shared the gospel and got to pray with over 200 people. But one thing, Don just sent me a, a, just a quick email on it. Uh, it just shook me. It's a very simple statement, but it just shows the impact of what some of these outreaches that are going on that you don't even know are happening within this church. One of the ladies who was a volunteer uh, at last week's um, outreach just said, the best memory of my day today, as one of the ladies was leaving, I hugged her and said, Merry Christmas and God bless you. And she said, thank you. No one ever hugs me. There was in like that simple line, I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, yeah, there's people out there that don't, don't ever see you know, a sign of affection uh, toward people, let alone a guest hanging out with them, let alone somebody saying Merry Christmas or spending time with them. So when you read it, it's nothing profound, but it's extremely profound. The thing that we're sending teams into these places that don't have guests, don't have visitors, and showing them the love of Christ. If it is something that you'd ever want to be a part of, you can contact Pastor Don. I know that they're setting uh, teams up for next year. Maybe you'll be the person that gets to bless somebody, gets to hug somebody, shake a hand, give a high five when they say, no, no one has ever done that, you know, in years to me. Amen? So we saw the little ones worship. We saw the older kids worship. We saw the adults worship. So we're going to talk about worship today. I want to talk about it today because, you know, as we approach the Christmas season, that's what we think about. We think about the manger scene. We think about baby Jesus there. We think about the shepherds who come and worship. I know the magi, the wise men, the three kings, whatever you, whatever you call them, I know we see them in the manger scene, but that actually happened when he was, he was older, maybe closer to two years old when he was walking and talking, but we throw them all into one nice picture. It makes a good Christmas card. I don't know when that ever started or why, <clears throat> but it has to deal with worship. It has to deal with the shepherds coming to worship the newborn king. It has to deal with the magi coming to find the king to offer them worship. We've talked about worship in a wide variety of ways over the years. Worship is more than singing. How many of you know that? But it does include singing, right? Worship is more than clapping hands and raising hands to the Lord, but we don't want to neglect those things just because we know that worship is more expansive than that. We've talked about worship being our work. We've talked about worship being our family. We've talked about whatever we do for the Lord, if we do it with all of our might, we can do it as an act of worship. But I don't want that revelation to actually diminish the times that we actually spend in God's presence in worship. Because sometimes people would say, well, I don't really do like the Sunday morning thing worship. That's not my style. So I do worship with, you know, with my hands during the week or I do my worship at work. We're supposed to do that worship all the time. But there are moments in time, 
all the way from the beginning of the Bible, where people set everything else aside, all other activities aside, to just turn their affections toward their Lord and worship. There was nothing else going on. There was no other job. There wasn't work. There were no other creative ways. It was just, I'm going to spend time doing nothing else but acknowledging your presence. And in your presence, I'm going to spend time worshiping. I looked up a Bible dictionary definition of worship. It says the Hebrew Bible represents or presents worship as a basic human response to God. Pretty simple. A basic human response to God, a response that acknowledges God's worth, often with praise and adoration. To worship God is to ascribe to God the glory that God's name is due. It says the basic Hebrew term for worship has a root meaning of to bow down or to prostrate oneself. That means to lie flat. The same is actually true in the Greek word used for worship. Thus, the act of worship always assumes a recognition of the individual's particular relationship with God. So if you think about it, the way you worship actually reflects your view of God. So check this out for a minute. If somebody would walk into church on a Sunday morning or somebody would come into your prayer closet and watch as you worship and they say, how that person is doing is reflecting their view of God, what would they think about your God? The way we worship and the manner in which we worship reflects our view of our God. So I think about it for individuals that just have a, I don't know if it's a hard time, but if you stand still and you're unmoved during moments, I mean, you truly sense the presence of God and you're unmoved by that. I believe if you allow, if you don't allow your heart to be moved by passion in worship, you're going to find it very hard to be moved by passion in any area of your life with God. Because when we're saying, well, I'm going to be passionate about God, you know, doing this, I'm going to be passionate about God in the study of the Word, I'm going to be passionate about God about witnessing. Listen, it's, all of that stuff is an outflow of worship. So we should say, God, I, I want to be passionate about just worshiping you. And not even passionate about worshiping you. I want to be passionate about the God in whom I'm actually worshiping. Because how many of you know we can be really passionate just about worship, right? The lights are low, the, 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 or the spotlights are right on, and the song, this is my jam. This is back in the 80s. This is the one, right? <laughs> Tears start flowing. I'm rushing the altar. Do you feel any closer to God? No, that was your favorite song growing up. Goosebumps all, I got goosebumps when Pat was singing too though. I like the goosebumps, but it's a connection to God. It's not a connection to worship, right? So it's saying the almighty king has come and he's with us and his presence is always here. We can say, well, he's always here, right? He's, he's in us. Yes, but there are moments in time during each day and during the week that we stop and sing to him and praise him and bring adoration to him. And there are responses all throughout Scripture that are included when people worship. In fact, if you look at Scriptures about the word worship and what sentences and words and phrases are surrounding those verses, there's acclamations of verbal praise, which means even if you can't sing. I never said David was a good singer. He just wrote a whole lot of songs. Did you ever catch that? It never said he sung on pitch or anything. He never went in front of America and I don't got judged. His heart was after God, so he worshiped. So there was verbal praise in worship. There's clapping of hands. 
They're a contemporary church because they do this. No, this is all the way back in the Old Testament. They clapped their hands a lot when they worshiped. They raised their hands and screamed. Oh, they're charismatic. Not just contemporary. Here goes charismatic for you. Are you serious? This is traditional and this is charismatic. This is biblical to raise your I don't do that. I'm not forcing you to. I don't want to contrive something. I don't want to force you to do something, right? Because I'm saying, but I do want you to offer the Lord your worship. It's a sign of surrender to God. There was playing musical instruments throughout Scripture in worship. There was dancing in worship. Did you see that person down there going crazy? No, they're just doing what they see in the Bible. There was a story I heard. I don't know if one of our staff members told it or not. But where this pastor was irate at this lady because she was just dancing before the Lord so freely. He got really mad at her. He was totally uncomfortable with her. And then he went up to her at the end of service. And he was like, I can't believe what you're, complete distraction and so on. And she began to tell her story of how she was in prostitution and the, the sex trafficking business and abused as a kid and so on. And she came and found Jesus. And she found so much freedom. She says, what else am I supposed to do in front of my king? right? So it says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. So sometimes, I don't know, maybe we need to think about where we would be headed if we weren't forgiven, and then realize how good his grace is, and then maybe we'll worship. Like, honestly, if we woke up this morning and said, God, without your grace, I would be headed to hell. I would be headed to the lake of burning sulfur and fire without your grace. He's all good, right? Our sin isn't. And the result without him is a destiny completely separated from him. And when we realize what we have with him and with his grace, the natural response would just be to worship. I don't think we need to go through as bad as a, as a past as that lady went through to actually worship our king. There was glorifying, praising, and giving thanks to God. There was singing. But the primary mode of worship in the Old Testament was actually sacrifice. They would bring the animals and sacrifice him. So if we think about all these responses, maybe you don't like to sing. Maybe you don't like to clap your hands. Maybe you can't play an instrument. Maybe you don't like to dance. But maybe if we set all those other things aside and we looked at the primary mode of worship in the Old Testament, it was sacrifice. So worship is actually supposed to be a sacrifice. So maybe we could sacrifice our style for 90 minutes and say, you know what, I, used to, I, I like this. This is my style of worship and I get to listen to it every day of the week. But on Sunday when we come together as a church family, I'll sacrifice my style to adore the king. Or maybe some of us have to sacrifice our attitude to say, why well, don't just, I don't, I don't, I'm not like that. I don't express myself in that way. Or maybe you have to sacrifice a label that you've put on yourself. I'm not an emotional person. I don't get into that. Maybe we need to sacrifice our pride. I can't sing, so I don't want the next person to hear me. And maybe once we've sacrificed all those things, we'll realize that worship really isn't even about us. It's actually about him. I, <clears throat> when my daughter came into middle school, she sits right, right here during worship, and then they go. But when she came into middle school, she started standing next to me. I said, Isabella, I have to apologize to you. You're standing next to me every Sunday, really, until you go away to college, and you have to listen to this voice. Like, it's not good. It's not a good voice. But I'm going to sing to my king. He's done enough in my life that I need to make a sacrifice of worship. So what's a sacrifice? It's giving something that costs you something. I don't like to sing. I don't like to be moved. I just want to stand here. Okay, then now make the sacrifice. 
Take the step out, make the sacrifice, go, hey, get, get, a little, get a little contemporary, get a little charismatic, oh, get a little crazy. I think sometimes we probably just have to loosen up, too. You know what I mean? Like, we just have to loosen up. If you think about it, God's not judging the way you sing, right? You could be off tune in your prayer time. You could say things that aren't even theologically correct, right? You could dance like you've never danced before, completely uncoordinated, trip, fall over, and God's going to say, that's my kid. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of her. That's her sacrifice of praise. Girl, you can't sing a lick, but that's your sacrifice to me, right? You're, sac- you're making a sacrifice. We don't bring animals to the altar anymore. We bring ourselves. So that includes bowing. That includes jumping. That includes singing. That includes clapping. That includes raising your hands. Even if you're an introvert. Again, I'm not forcing you to do certain things. You don't see me doing calisthenics up there usually. Like I'm not a big, I'm not a big dancer in here, but sometimes I feel it, and I do. Right? So I'm not trying to turn all of us into looking the same. What I'm saying is we need to make a sacrifice of praise. So we do some silly things for people we love, right? As parents, we dress up to play make-believe with our kids, like in funny costumes at times. We talk gibberish to a toddler. Have you ever seen a really well-educated adult talk to a toddler? That's silly. We stand outside for hours in the cold and rain to buy a gift for somebody that we love. We will jump with joy at 2 o'clock today when the Steelers make a touchdown. We'll scream out loud, raise our hands on a roller coaster. We'll dance at a wedding even when we never dance. We'll sing happy birthday to a kid, but we don't sing well. We express ourselves when a good friend tells us exciting news, post selfies, and the weirdest faces, all like we're the most happiest people alive, but we come in here and we get stiff sometimes. Like, why isn't this the most exciting part of your week? I mean, I cheer for the Steelers, and I yell, and I get excited. I told you before, I love roller coasters, all that stuff. But like, this is the moment where we shut everything else down, right? Shut it all down, and we focus on the one. So I'm not pointing out, like, people. I don't have people in mind, but it concerns me. If we can stand in front of the one who gave us new life, the one who paved the way for us to be in the presence of God forever. And we could stand here as we recognize him and tell how great he is and be unmoved. Second Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to mention Luke 2 and Matthew 2. Uh, just a few verses if you want to put a piece of paper in there. In Second, in second, Ma- second Matthew, <laughs> that doesn't exist. In second, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, what we have, I'm not going to read all the verses just due to time. What we have here is the Ark of the Covenant. That was the place where God's presence rested upon in the Old Testament. If you wanted to find God, you went to the Old Testament. Of course, he's omnipresent. He showed up in different areas. Once the tabernacle and the temple were established, the Ark of the Covenant, it was a box with angels on it. It was set into a place called the Holy of Holies. That's where God was. The Philistines, they beat our people up one time. They took our ark. They had it. It didn't work out so well for them, so they brought it back, and it was stored, but not in Jerusalem. It was stored for several years in the house of Abinadab. What happens here is David defeated the Philistines once again in a battle, and he was retrieving the ark, bringing it back to Jerusalem. This is verse 6. Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. 
The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. How many of you are happy that this is the new covenant? That does not happen anymore. That word irreverent means wrongdoing. That means Uzzah broke a law. To touch the ark of the covenant actually meant death. It was prohibited in the old covenant to mishandle the presence of God. So if it was prohibited in the Old Testament to handle God's presence in an unworthy manner, why are we okay doing it today? Right? Somebody reached out and did something they shouldn't have done. They mishandled God's presence. He didn't take it serious enough, and he died. But we come into churches, or you go into your prayer room, or whatever, and sometimes I think we mishandle God's presence. I'm not saying you have to take him seriously in the way of like, are you going to kill me? Are you going to whack me dead today? No, absolutely not. There's joy in the presence of God. You can be serious and you can cry. You can weep. You can lay prostrate before the Lord. You can dance and jump, right? You might look like you're an emotional basket case, but it's with the Lord. It's your relationship with the Lord and what he's doing in your life during that time. So David got afraid and he said, I'm not ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. So in verse 10, it says he was not willing to bring the Ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Says the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed him. He blessed Obed Edom and his entire household. Now the king was told, "The Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and everything he has because of the ark of the Lord." I actually believe it's impossible to host the presence of God and not receive the blessing of God. Right? If you're willing to just host him, if you're willing to think about it, if you're willing to set some times aside to come into worship and offer him your praise, God, I can't sing, but I'm going to go for it. This makes me uncomfortable, but I'm going to go for it. Not so other people see you and say, okay, Pastor Kurt talked about it, so I'm going to put my hands up. No. To offer a sacrifice of praise to your heavenly Father and your King, I believe it's impossible to host his presence that way and not receive blessing. Now, nothing said Obed-Edom was qualified to host his presence. It says God's presence stayed there, and over a course of just a few short weeks, the blessing of the Lord was upon him. So David wanted in on that. He's like, I'm going back and getting that ark. So in the second half of verse 12, it says, David went down, brought up the ark to the house, from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now, that would have seemed so tedious to me. Like if we were up there and we're dancing and we're like, oh, we're bringing it back. The ark of God's coming back. And we start one, two, and here we go, worshiping. And David stops and actually offers a sacrifice. How many of you know that like, they weren't tearing open like little packages from Giant Eagle? They had real animals, a real sacrifice that took time. How many of you, I mean, I'm just confessing. I would have been looking at my watch like, this is going to take a really long time. But you know what? True worshipers don't measure time when you're worshiping. In fact, true, measures, true, true worshipers don't even measure the size of the sacrifice because they're in the presence of the king. We won't go there, but in um, John chapter 12, when Mary pours out the perfume upon Jesus' feet, it says it in there that that was a year's worth of perfume. But you look, she walks in here completely free from her sin, 
and enjoying that freedom. And she begins to pour that on his feet. She's not measuring how long it took. She's not measuring the cost that it was. She's not measuring how anybody else around her thought. In fact, she was criticized for it. But yet she offered her sacrifice of praise. She offered a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. And David did the same thing. It says, David wearing a linen ephod. A linen ephod was basically loose priestly garment. There's many theologians based on what Michael, his wife, sounds like a boy's name. It's a girl's name here. Says later on in this chapter that he would have had uh, some of his king, kingly robes on and would have taken that off to just have this priestly robe on. It says, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. One translation said, with great abandon, while he and his entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. So you look at this. This is the symbol of divine presence walking down this road, coming into Jerusalem. And David went wild. Like it says he danced with all of his might. He wasn't like doing the, like the little... This is like the wedding dance, right? If you don't know how to dance, you just do like your little two-step. Absolutely not. This man went crazy before the Lord, enough to make people nervous around him. But he expressed himself because he knew, this is the God who called me to be king. This is the God who's placed the divine anointing upon my life, and I'm going to dance, and I'm going to be excited. And I'm telling you, you don't have to be called to be a king to dance before the Lord. And to get excited before the Lord. In fact, the, Lord, the Bible says that you are a royal priesthood already. So right there, before you even know what your specific calling is in life, you already know you've been called to be a royal priesthood. So that should be enough to get us excited to worship before the Lord. Knowing that that might not show up in dancing with you, but there is a freedom to express himself the way he wanted. You know, passion does show up in a variety of ways, right? It's not all about dancing. Some people laugh. Some people cry. Some people leap and dance. Some people kneel and bow down. But I want you to see throughout Scripture, when worship was happening, there was always a response. There was always a response. It was never, I'm like this before worship, and now that I'm worshiping, I'm still like this. You don't see that in Scripture. If we're actually taking time to recognize the King of all kings, and we worship Him, there's always a response. Passion will move you toward sacrifice, right? So if you're passionate about the Lord, it'll move you toward sacrificing, even our own pride, if we have a horrible singing voice. If we look in the New Testament, Luke chapter two, we see when the angels come and announce the coming of the king. It says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they begin to give them the announcement. But in verse 11, it says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. So we look here, the town of David was known by that because of King David, the same one who danced before the Lord as he brought in the presence of God. But check this out. The Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem was just a foretaste of the presence of God. Do you understand that? It was a prophetic picture that God is now seen over this box in the Holy of Holies, but one day he would break loose. That's when we celebrate Easter, not Christmas, and his presence would be everywhere. But the announcement was made. You shall call, you shall call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So the shepherds understood this. They would have known the city of David. David was a worshiper. He was a man after God's own heart. And now in the city of David, this Savior has been born. Emmanuel, God with us. So what do they do? In verse 16, 
They drank their coffee. They took their time getting ready to go. They checked their Facebook news feed. What did they do? It says in verse 16, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They actually rushed to get into his presence. They made it a priority to get into the presence of the king. I was thinking about that. I, you know, I, I came to a conclusion. Whatever we make a priority, we will eventually worship. Whatever we make a priority in our life, we will eventually worship. Whatever we spend our time and our affections and all those things, they will eventually become an idol before us. So why not just make him our priority, and then we'll know that we'll always be worshiping the right thing. And it takes a sacrifice of praise. So they rush. They leave all their flock behind, and they go to the very first New Testament church service. It happened to be right in front of a manger. Verse 17, it says, when they, uh, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. So they, they could not keep it to themselves. They actually talked to others about it. It says that they returned glorifying and praising God. So what we see is this. They came out of worship different than how they came in. They came in with great expectancy, and then they actually experienced God in flesh himself, and they left changed. So obviously, I bring this back to myself. Am I leaving worship changed? Am I making the sacrifice of worship enough where I'm opening up my heart, not just my arms, where my heart's being changed so that I'm being changed when I leave? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, this is when Herod sent the Magi to go and find this newborn king. He wasn't newborn anymore. Like I said, he was probably closer to two years old. But in verse 11... It says, on coming to the house, they, which is the Magi, saw the child with his mother. So look at the response of worship that the Magi had. It says, they bowed down and worshiped him. So that's one act. As they're bowing, they're showing their honor to a king. They're showing their reverence to the king. But they also made that sacrifice of praise to him, that sacrifice of worship. It says, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Do you see this? There's an outward, of, an outward expression of passion every time somebody worships in the Bible. So if you take anything away from this, when it all narrows down to it is this. Our posture should change when we worship the king. Our po- something about our bodies, our mouths, our hearts, our minds, something should be changing when we worship our king. Unfortunately, at times, our posture toward God will absolutely bring criticism from man. The unfortunate part about this is that many times that criticism comes from other Christians, not from lost people. It comes from other Christians that aren't free from their own stuff, so they find stuff in other people's lives to try to criticize. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 16, David's dancing, dancing the night away, right? He's leaping and jumping and dancing and worshiping, enjoying the presence of God. And it says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, this is a woman, this is David's uh, wife. Michael, son of Saul, notice the scriptures don't, don't say here, wife of David. It refers back to her being the daughter of Saul. Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when, the king, uh, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. 
See, people that are supposed to be close to God, but they choose to watch from the window. They position themselves to criticize people with passion to cover up their own inability to worship. I want to read that again because I spent a lot of time writing that. (laughs) Because I've done it myself before. I've come into church cranky, right? And I just stand there and look from the window. People who are supposed to be close to God, but choose to watch from the window will position themselves to criticize those with passion to cover up their own failure to worship. So they're, they're, they're too uncomfortable to let it out. Or they have issues with something. So what they do is they find contempt in their heart. And what happened with Michael, she found so much contempt in her heart that that contempt actually went to the Lord. And it, and it, was, it affected her. It Go down to verse 23. It says, And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Her refusal to worship the Lord shut her heart off to the Lord and actually caused that to happen. So if you think about it, it's not usually the lost people who are searching for a true living God who criticize us if we get a little crazy in worship, right? Actually, I think the opposite is true. If a lost person who's searching for the real true God comes in here and sees us worshiping like this, and the songs are up there about how great and how awesome and how amazing and how majestic. And they're going to say, wait a minute, is that your God? I'm not sure I want that God if this is how God's people are actually responding. So we think lost people are going to come in here searching for God. And if we get too crazy for God, they're going to think we're all wackos and they're going to leave. Maybe they'll know that we're serious about worshiping our God. Maybe they'll know that God has set us free. Maybe they'll know that we celebrate before our God. And maybe they'll come to our same God. So in my personal theology, in looking at scripture, I do not think dancing before the Lord is too unruly. I don't think it's too wild, and I don't think it's too distracting. I know some of you might say, all of this motion is distraction, but I want you to look at the other side. Look at somebody who shows their passion outwardly. They might be looking at somebody who's standing still, saying that's a distraction. We should be going crazy for Jesus. We should be worshiping with all of our hearts, and you're not doing anything. So that might be distracting. Both sides can be abused, right? Somebody could come up here and act like it's a nightclub and not have it in their heart at all to worship the Lord, and that is an abuse. And when we're in the presence of God, if you're not doing anything, if you're unmoved, stone-faced, that's an abuse. We should all change our posture when we worship, whatever that looks like. I'm not looking for 400 people to come up to the front and start dancing. Passion will show itself. I know very passionate people, they don't, ever, like, they don't show excitedly, but they're passionate about what they do. You can tell it in their eyes, they mean what they're doing, especially during worship. Adam, you can come up with your team. We're going to enter into a, 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 just a brief time of worship in just a few minutes, because I, I want to worship. In verse 20, I'm back at 2 Samuel chapter 6. In verse 20, it says, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, son of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. How many of you know this is sarcasm? How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. This is his wife, the wife of a king, completely having disregard for how he worshiped. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. It was before the Lord. 
man, that person can't sing at all. Look, like you go home and you make fun of the guy that was right, you know, behind you singing way too loud off pitch. And you know what his response should be? It was before the Lord. Listen, we're worshiping one God. We just happen to be a few hundred people in one place at one time. If you're worried about the person next to you, then you're thinking about them. So you're worshiping like the fear of man, not God. So David's like, listen, I derobed. I went crazy, I leaped, I jumped, I danced, I sang, we clapped, we shouted. There were instruments all along. This is a huge parade just for the presence of God. He says, it was before the Lord. He says, who chose me rather than your father, which that would have probably hurt her, or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. That's not like, he's not wondering there. He's not guessing. He's making a declaration. I will celebrate before the Lord. He says, I will, come, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Because he knows these slave girls who are in bondage, when they find freedom, they see this man has freedom. This man's worshiping his true God. So something we take and we look at as such an extreme right? Somebody would jump up and down or dance or shout or clap, whatever it is. He's saying, you take, you take it to where you would be almost uncomfortable with it, and I'll become even more undignified than that. In, in contemporary terms is this, I'm willing to look like a fool for Jesus. That would have been, I'm willing to look like a fool for the presence of God. So when you turn your affections toward the Lord and you turn them away from man, a passionate response in worship will happen. You have to understand, when you, when you act like nobody else is next to you, right? What's the, what's the one saying? Dance, dance like no one's watching. It's just the king. He happens to be your daddy. Why don't you stand at this time? Pastor John, our youth pastor, gave an example. He noticed there were groups of teenagers standing uh, on, off to the side at the rock on Wednesday nights, not worshiping, just kind of standing still. So he told me about an illustration that he shared just this past Wednesday. And he had everybody close their eyes, so we'll just have fun with it. Just close your eyes for a moment. And he just said this. He said, imagine that the king is actually standing before you right now. Imagine that Jesus is right here, right before you. How would you respond? Like literally, if Jesus walked into this sanctuary right now and chose to stand right in front of you, would you be stone-faced? Would you be cold, callous, stiff? Or would you have an expression of joy, an expression of sacrifice, maybe an expression of repentance? There might be laughing and jumping, or there might be bowing, knee, kneeling, and laying flat. But I believe, if anything else, there would be a change in your posture. Now, if you open your eyes, what Pastor John said is absolutely true. The reality is, is Jesus is here. The King is has come. He is already among us. So why not change our posture in worship? Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.